they've made it is quite loud, so I'm not surprised. I mean, the fact that somebody <laughs> heard up in a busy pub on a Christmas night out and went, I recognise your voice for probably the neighbouring pub. Yeah, aye, probably, yeah. They'd be tough to search about, though, and look for where the sound was coming from, you know? You know, <laughs> they'd be a normal height, they'd be like, well, where is that sound coming from? <laughs> And there we go. <laughs> Boom, just like that. Thank you, Mary. Good morning, Vietnam! I love the smell of my pub in the morning. You're going to need a bigger morning. I feel the need. The need for a speed. Rose. We're going, we don't need. His possible motives. Was Holland planning on cutting off Joni? Did he plan to fire Walter? Is Richard having an affair? That's some heavy duty conjecture. Funny, Ransom, you skipped the funeral, but you're early for the will reading. Up your ass. Very nice, oh, Ransom. 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 Since the last one, what was the last one, John? Was it midsummer? Yeah, it was, and that was a month ago. Yeah, that was a Halloween one. Yep, yeah, I just showed you how long it's been since we've done the podcast. But don't blame me, don't blame John, blame the person that's not here, and that, of course, <laughs> is Mary, who is sick. And you can't see me doing the inverted comma finger thing saying sick, but I am because. Well, <laughs> let's be honest. She's not here to defend herself, so we'll take as many pot shots as possible. And as many low blows. And yes, that was a hate joke. <laughs> John, how We're are you doing? We're getting them all in tonight, folks. Eh? Exactly. I'm very well, Thomas. I'm very well, yes. I'm one of the few people who doesn't appear to be sick at the moment. I think there's a certain amount of it going about, which is very unfortunate. So kind of like to hold off until at least Friday when it's my Christmas night out. And, and then I can be as sick as I want. But no. No, I'm uh, good, yeah, watching lots of movies and doing lots of things, so which has obviously contributed to the fact that we've not been podcasting as well, so not great, but here we are tonight. Exactly, yeah, that's the most important thing. Speaking of being sick, so many people so many people I know are sick just now, and I'm like, right, as long as they stay sick and away from me, I'm happy with that. I haven't actually seen that much recently, as I was saying to you the other day, it's just the way kind of things have fallen uh, with life, but both of us have seen Knives Out. So that's as good enough a reason as any to review it. The film is a murder mystery directed by Ryan Johnson of Boo Hiss Star Wars fame. Uh, it does star Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, Anna de Armas, Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, Don Johnson, Tony Collette, Catherine Langford, Jaden Martell and Christopher Plummer in what is an incredible ensemble cast. I don't know about you, but when I seen that cast, I was like, yeah, I want to see this film. Yep, definitely. Yes, absolutely. And to be fair, I've made a joke about Star Wars there. I really like The Last Jedi. I think it's absolutely brilliant. So just getting out of the way before we talk about Knives Out. Um, um, totally there with you. I really liked it. I thought it was unfairly panned, shall I say. Yes. And that kind of, I'll, I'll speak about it a little later, but it's obviously drip fed into this film as well, a little of that. So, But yes. please continue, good sir. Basically, for those of you who are not familiar with the plot, it involves a wealthy crime novelist played by Christopher Plummer called Harlan Fromby, whose death by apparent suicide raises issues and concerns and suspicions of his family. We're not convinced that everything's above board here, 
and they yeah they want to get to the bottom of not only his death but his will where all the power is and all the money lies daniel craig plays an investigator who has been hired by an unknown source to also get to the bottom of this i don't want to say too much about the plot because I, I don't know what's been said in the trailer and what hasn't. Mm, yeah, the trailer was a little uh, vague. It introduced yeah. elements, but it didn't go into any great depth about what went on, apart from the fact that there's a suspicious death. That's yeah. pretty much, yeah, you, that's pretty much what it was. And then it just showed lots of images of people saying reasonably inconsequential things in the trailer. It didn't give very much away at all. It was a very good trailer in that respect. And this will be a tough film to talk about from a plot point of view because there's so many twists. And if you watch this film like I did, very, very cold, it's an absolute treat. The first of all, I'm just going to say I really enjoyed the film. I thought it was cracking. It's, it, I don't know if it's going to be my top 10, to be fair, because it's quite a strong list. But I, I thought it was, I really enjoyed it from start to finish. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Did you? Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's going to be there thereabouts in my top 10 this year just on the strength of the fact that it was, it was a really really good film it's not a terribly deep film in terms of weightiness or award contention or anything like that but it was a thoroughly enjoyable film obviously ryan johnson has a, a bit of a love for the, the genre anyway he's been quoted in the press as saying that Agatha Christie, especially Peter Ustinov's take on Poirot, is, are his favourite films in, in that sort of genre, and he just loves the, the whole idea of it. So doing this, which is really just his love letter to sort of Agatha Christie and Mansion House Mysteries and these kind of things, that yeah, there's very little that you can criticise about the film. It starts off in a, a very sort of delicious way in that you meet all the characters, you actually get their title cards while they're, they're being interviewed by the police detectives with this shadowy figure sitting in the background occasionally touching on a piano key which turns out to be Benoit Blanc who doesn't say anything for the first it must be at least 10-15 minutes he doesn't say anything and all of the, the, the main characters in the piece are interviewed and they're all interviewed they're being interviewed about the same sort of thing that's going on i think it's the birthday party and what their part in the birthday party was and how they felt and things like that and right from the start you see that things are slightly different the way that they're telling their stories are slightly different some characters appear to be or for a better word more stupid than others because they just don't seem to have any sort of common sense at all one character picks up on that right away saying ah you want me to say this what sort of fool would do that and then it cuts to the next character actually being excited that and the, the the cinema was uproar when uh, that came on just because it's such a funny moment and it's not the only funny moment in the film for something that's uh, dealing with potential murder there's an awful lot of humor in there without it detracting from the drama and mystery elements as well yeah couldn't really as i say couldn't fault it at all I like the fact that one character you haven't mentioned is the nurse of Christopher Plummer's character. And she has a, a very particular way about her that, again, well, I, th I think it's, it's reasonable. To, this is not a great spoiler. She can't tell a lie. And there's a very good way that they actually put that on screen that she can't tell a lie. And that kind of informs you. Uh, this isn't quite what we're thinking it's going to be because usually with these murder mysteries, it's usually the nurse or the butler or something like that, or it's a relatively minor character. This time you've got a whole cast to die for, basically, and <laughs> it could be any single one of them that is the, the actual the, the antagonist. And 
in their own way, each of them make a case for for them being that person by their actions and by what comes out as each of their backgrounds and each of their motives is, is brought to the screen by the intriguing detective, shall we say. So what did you think of the main character, obviously the detective, Daniel Craig as Benoit Blanc? Were you surprised or was it something they expected that he was able to do based on sort of past performances and the fact that he is a particularly good actor? It reminded me of his, although they're two totally different characters, it reminded me of his performance in Logan Lucky. And not that he played the same type of character, his performance was the same, but it just looked like he was having so much fun. Mm You're quite used to seeing Daniel Craig, especially as James Bond, very much a stiff, upper lip, classy, like stony-faced individual. Yeah, as my, as my wife likes to say, with the Bond pout, he's always seems to be pouting. <laughs> <laughs> and it drives her up the wall when she sees a new trailer. And uh, at, one, at least one scene he's pouting, which she does again in No Time to Die. But yes, yes quite... <laughs> but this, for example, is just to say he's kind of got a relaxed demeanour about him. He's got that crazy accent, which I can't really tell if it's a good accent or a bad accent. It's just a noticeable southern Louisiana style twang to his voice, and he just looks like he's having a great time. And it's, yes. an excellent, it's an excellent performance in a film with not one bad performance in it. Spe- speaking of good performances, you talk about the nurses, Anna de Armas. I love her. I think she's fantastic in everything I've seen her in. The first film I saw her in, I think, it was Knock Knock. Mm-hmm. That Eli Roth, <laughs> Keanu Reeves, <laughs> madcap horror. I think it's a very underrated film. She's excellent in it. She's fantastic in this. She just looks perpetually worried the entire time. And yeah, quite, yeah. She just, she stands out as being like the only like genuinely likable character for so long, mm-hmm. surrounded mm-hmm. by these self obsessed narcissistic uh, money grabbers. Basically, yeah, it's nice the way that they they kind of twist the knife into the sort of liberal sensibilities that these people exhibit to begin with. They all seem to be very nice and they're caring, and they go out of their way to say to Marta, you know we'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. You know, we treat you as one of the family, but not one of them can remember the country she comes from, for instance. And that's, and that's brilliant every time they mention her, that she comes from a different country. And the first time yeah. I noticed that, it was the second time I went, is that what they said earlier? <laughs> I thought the, I'm like, hold on a minute, actually, this is, this is clever. This is mm-hmm. a very clever joke. And the very well, they keep saying to her, oh, I'd have had you at the funeral, but I was outvoted. <laughs> Yeah. When you first hear it, you think, oh, that's nice. Then you're like, hold on a minute. Yeah. Uh, Who, who's voting? Basically, most you know. of them. Yeah. Yeah, so it does bit. kind of. Hmm? On you go. So I can't always say that. I was going to say. Yeah, apparently, there's a seat where they're having a kind of discussion about immigrants to the country. Mm-hmm. And Don, I guess Don, Don Johnson's character, Tony Collette. Yeah. Having a conversation. Don Johnson kind of like, where he's telling the story, it's all kind of nice because he's trying mm-hmm. to portray himself as a good guy. But when you yes. see the story for what it was, and he says, says to uh, ah, the Armistice character come over, and he's speaking, he just hands her the plate mm-hmm. and the cup just without even looking at her. She's not a maid. Yeah. She's a nurse. Yeah. <laughs> she, she's uh, his father's nurse. She's there to take care of his father and come mm-hmm. him with his drugs and take care of him. She's a really nice, lovely character. And mm-hmm. he just has such contempt for her. And that shows you yeah. how the family view her. I was reading something. Apparently, Don Johnson improved that. All right, okay. 
Yeah. And that's genius. That's absolute genius. Mm-hmm. He is particularly good in this film. The last couple of years, he is, his profile has risen again with some particularly choice roles. Like this sort of culminates it for him because obviously he's he's been in the Watchmen TV mm-hmm. show, where he's superb in that. And uh, he's been working with uh, Zed Craig Zahler as well on uh, Salt and Cell Block 99 and Dragged Across Concrete. He played sort of small roles in those. And again, really, really strong performances, really standout performances. Yeah, it's, it's good to see him back on the screen again. Was that the Vince Vaughn one? Yes. Uh, yeah, both he of them played the Walton, didn't he? He played he the did, yes. He was excellent in that. Mm-hmm. He was in Django and Chain. Uh, he was the... That's r- of course, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Yes, yeah. Yeah, it was very, very, <laughs> it's particularly good in that film as well. But back to the subject at hand. Apparently, when Ryan Johnson was able to get this off the ground, really on the back of Daniel Craig joining it, he was the first actor on board. And apparently, they weren't sure what his accent was going to be like or how he was going to do the performance. <laughs> and on the first day of when he was on set, there was audible gasps from the rest of the cast when he, he rolled out this southern fried accent. And they thought, oh, he's committing to this full time. You know, this isn't, you're not just messing about here. He's really going for it in a big way. So they all kind of felt that they had to up their game and basically sort of bring their A game to this. And it, it kind of shows, it shows that they had enormous fun on it. And usually there's a rule of thumb that the more fun that the cast and the crew have in a film, the worse the film is actually going to be. But I don't think that's really the case here. It seems no. to be that he's, he's really kind of knocked out of the park. Earlier on, I was mentioning, obviously, we had a brief word about his last film, the Star Wars film. Yes. The, some of the fallout from that happened with Knives Out as well, because... Before this film actually came out, there was one-star reviews on IMDb saying that this was a dreadful film and it was a terrible film, and apparently they all came from Star Wars fanboys who have still not got over his his treatment of the the Star Wars universe. It really annoys me two things. A, the fact they'll take away the fact I like The Last Jedi, I just even said I hated it. The amount of people that really annoy me, and people that I know, and they were saying stuff like, oh, it just goes to show you it can make a good film. And I'm like, so you've only seen two Ryan Johnson films, and because yes. you didn't like one of them, you wrote them off. I haven't seen Brick to be fair, but I've heard a bad thing about it. Looper is a, fan- a fantastic film. Mm-hmm. It's one of the best sci-fis of the last ten years. I haven't seen the Brothers Bloom either to be fair, but mm-hmm. just because you made a Star Wars film that you didn't like, it wasn't the way you envisioned <laughs> it when you were a kid. Yes, doesn't quite. make him a bad director and writer. Even if, like, if you don't like Star Wars, that's fine, but don't write up the entire guy's talent and career based on... A, also, it's a franchise film, unless you say it's not the best film ever. Maybe he's not a franchise type guy, but this is his strengths. Yes, if you, if you think about some of the, the directors that have come and gone within the Star Wars universe, I think the, the, the mere fact that he came through and they were in a position that they wanted to offer him a, a trilogy, which is still apparently on the cards, so he must have done something right in, in their eyes and it was not a bad film and I'd like to see him going back to it, but Sounds I don't know like if they actually will. Yeah, we shall see. We shall see on that one. Yeah, I mean, maybe even him personally, I don't know him, obviously, but he could, could, could be like, you know, I prefer doing these kind of films, I have more control, I have more fun. And mm-hmm. that's the thing when I was out and going back to, this is an incredible cast mm-hmm. for, Absolutely, yeah. for a low-budget, quirky film. And yep. yeah, yeah. Speaking, 
you make a mention Daniel Craig, but who's the big who would you say is the biggest actor in this? Daniel Craig or Chris Evans? Oh, I know. Probably at the moment Chris Evans, but mm-hmm. it's it's a close one because if you think about all the sort of the, the principles then they're all kind of up there, as I said before, Don Johnson's making a comeback, Jamie Lee Curtis. She's on the way back after Halloween. Daniel Craig with Bond, Chris Evans, Marvel Universe, and all that. Yeah, yeah. Tony Gillespie, a lot of good things recently. A lot of absolutely, yes. Yep, Michael Shannon, you know. Michael Shannon was particularly good because he plays totally against type. He's yeah. usually sort of a big, gruff, very forceful type of character in a lot of the things that he does. But here he's completely different, sort of very sort of down. You know, he's, he brings a whole downer to the, the whole sort of proceedings, just by the way he just seemed to be lurking in the background and he's indecisive and everything. I thought that was a, a wonderful performance. I'm just looking here and seeing that the, the worldwide gross is $126 million for a film that was a budget of $40 million, which is yeah. just, for, for a film like that and a film that's a, it was a 15 rating, I think, it's, it's a real hit. Oh, sorry, it's a 12A rating, but it was a real hit anyway, considering that it was a film that's not part of a franchise and it's a completely original story that he came up with yeah exactly yeah, it just shows you the, the kind of nonsense these kind of star wars man babies kind of crying that yeah. ryan johnson ruined the franchise and well he's not because let's be honest there's still a new one coming out next week so he's ruined nothing yes and he's not been yeah. damaging hollywood because he got to do this and people are loving it and that's, that's almost a hundred million profit Based off the yep. budget in the box office. Yep, maybe it's time to give this guy some slack. Cut him some slack. <laughs> Let's just turn around and say, actually, yeah, it's quite good. <laughs> yes, well, I think this will go a long way to hopefully cement that, making sure that he, is. he gets back to his sort of critical successes that he's used to and is, is very well deserved, as you say. He's had a, a cracking sort of run of films, so... Yeah, definitely. I mean, mentioning Chris Evans, I'm sorry, because we're talking about like, Daniel Craig having so much fun. It's been a while since I've seen Chris Evans play this kind of role. Mm-hmm. And Chris Evans is great in these smarmy, smug roles. We're, used to, we're so used to him as Captain America now, and being all about truth, justice, American way, and the chiseled jaw, and the I am mm-hmm. awesome. And he's just, he's just the epitome of good. You forget how good he is mm-hmm. doing these kind of roles, the kind of roles that made him famous to begin with. Yeah, of course, yes, yeah. It it shows that a lot of people forget the, the range that these actors actually have and the way that they can. And I know they're actors that should be able to do that, but pe- uh, people tend to pigeonhole stars if they're in a role for a certain period of time. They only, Like I say, they only see them as the superhero, and I would imagine that that's the kind of films that he gets offered on a daily basis. The good guy, the the sort of the shining knight, all this sort of stuff. But for him to do something like this is obviously something that he wanted to do. And let's face it, a chance to work with somebody like Ryan Johnson. I think he's going to be one of these directors that's going to attract talent to him for these films. Sort of no questions asked because of his, his track record and the way that he works. And he is very much an actor's director as well. So, yeah, yeah. can't fault it at all. He was in, Chris Evans was in a film a couple of years ago as well called uh, Gifted. Did you see that? Was that the one with the, he was the father of the wee girl who? His uncle, different? yeah. Oh, the same uncle, one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yes. He's like a genius and he's struggling mm-hmm. to kind of raise in that. Again, very low budget kind of film. He's really good in that. He's a really good actor, let's be honest. But mm-hmm. yep. um, that was kind of serious film. Like I said, they're used to seeing him as Captain America and that's what people know him for now. But seeing him in this, it was just like, even <laughs> I was trying to myself, the entire cast, as you were saying, looked like they're having a laugh. They look, mm-hmm. they look, they look, they look enjoying it, and that transcends 
through the screen to the audience. The only thing I would say is I didn't think the film dragged, but it did. It was long for what it was. Yes. Yeah. They... And so it, it was like again without kind of going into spoilers, it wasn't a traditional murder mystery in many ways because it revealed so much. Mm. It showed you behind the curtain early on. Yes. Yeah. That was that was quite interesting because it. it... As you say, it showed you something and then you're kind of going, oh, so where are we going to go from here? Yes. Mm-hmm. And the amount of twists in that were excellent and the big reveal at the end. You might turn around and say, okay, well, I kind of thought that, but how it gets there, you can't see coming. Yes. It's, it's too clever. It's, it's very well done. And But there are clues all the way yes. through the film, as with most murder mysteries there are clues presented to you on in various ways and it can be just offhand remarks or it can be very deliberate things and if you think about what actually went on in the film you go ah yeah oh right i get that now and some of it was deliberately brought back to the screen in the final reveal and some of it wasn't it was just kind of left there which makes it a, a good sort of second viewing because you're you're pointing these things out as well i was particularly interested in the the fact that when when you go into the house at first you're presented with this house it's full of stuff and half the stuff is kind of lying about you could murder somebody with it <laughs> <laughs> there was like vases there was a whole sort of the the collection of knives the big circle of knives and all, all this sort of stuff it was just there was so much stuff lying about that you could actually apply and i just thought is this the way it's going to go is it going to be something you know it was you know, the butler in the study with the candlestick mm-hmm. kind of idea. But yeah, it was, and then it twisted away from that almost right away. As you say, there was certain plot elements and it turns out you're going, whoa, okay, right. Mm, not sure about this anymore, which just keeps you interested. It kept you interested. It was long, but I think it needed to be long because each of the characters was being developed as a potential murderer so they didn't yeah. want to if you if you left somebody out of that if, or and if you concentrated in one more than another you're kind of starting to ask yourself well why are they not concentrating on this person does that mean they're the one because then they're going to be just a great reveal so if you're concentrating on everybody you've given everybody sort of equal time to incriminate themselves then everybody is going to be a suspect and it, it is a surprise at the end then yeah nothing was wasted no, mm-hmm. nothing felt wasted you never kind of felt watching back saying well they could have cut that out or Maybe you kind of trimmed that. It was, yeah, I earned it. And I would like to see it again because, as you say, I think I'd pick up a lot more and go, ah, as it, as it happens. <laughs> so would you recommend this film then? Yeah, definitely. And as you say, it's doing very well at the box office, so let's hope it's out for a bit longer. Yeah, I think it will. It's still got legs, obviously, so it'll be around probably for another couple of weeks. And then it'll home release time because it's usually only about 12 weeks now. So we'll probably see it sort of January, February time. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing it again. Really enjoyed it. And again, yeah, it's it's, it's in contention for my top ten. We shall find out when. Yes. Uh, when when we actually uh, get into discussing it at a later date. But no, yeah, no, I, would, no. I would yeah thoroughly recommend it. Um, should go and see it. Right, so that's a unanimous decision from both of us. I think made a light as well, didn't she? She did. Yes, from what she was talking about, she said yeah, it was it was it was good. But obviously she. We're putting words into your mouth here, you know. But uh, a lot of her uh, praise was for Chris Evans' jumpers. (laughs) (laughs) Which seems to be a thing uh, in the internet these days. Yes. I do love stuff for that, I really do. 
Yeah. But yes, and as usual, we're going to have a top three. And John come up with the idea about a bit rather than have a favourite murder mysteries or mystery films or that, we went for our top three movie detectives. Now, when I, John, you first mentioned this to me, my mind mm-hmm. did automatically go into a murder mystery detective type thing. Yes. And then I realised, nah, I'm just going to go with detectives in general. Yeah, it <laughs> can be. For that plot. The, the way I was thinking of it was it could be anything. It could be police, private investigators, even amateur sleuths, if you like, or almost one-offs. I know we discussed some of your choices earlier that were sort of in contention, and they weren't really detectives, but they did a bit of detective work. But yeah, it's this yeah. very, you know, put it this way, it's our, it's our podcast, we set the rules. Exactly. <laughs> and I will discuss the ones that were more shortlisted that I took off because they weren't detectives after I finished. But you did get the first draft pick. So yes. who did you go for again? I went for Philip Marlowe, the Humphrey Bogart version from The Big Sleep from 1946. Classic, uh, hard-boiled gumshoe. He's the kind of character that he, he lives almost rough. He lives in his office a lot of the times. He's always got a wisecrack. He's always drinking. But as with most detectives on screen, he's smart as hell. He really knows what he's doing, even if he doesn't show what he's doing. He gets into scrapes. He, he, he sometimes gets the women. Sometimes he has to actually fend off the women. Like uh, one, one of the, the best quotes from it was, uh, she tried to sit in my lap when I was standing up, which I just thought was cracking, just as a, a an excellent way to talk about trying to reject somebody <laughs> that you don't particularly like. Now, with The Big Sleep in general, it's a very convoluted story. It's quite twisting. There's elements in it that never actually get resolved at all. There's a few deaths in it that just don't seem to go anywhere. But they're, they're there. And on the whole, it works. And a lot of that is down to the fact that the, the central character of Marlowe is such a strong character and he can actually carry the whole story from the start right through to the finish. You're basically with him for the whole film. He sort of embodies, there's a lot to do with sort of the American male in the late 60s, sorry, the late 40s after the war, trying to get some sort of identity back. And he kind of represents sort of America on its way back in a certain way as well. I know the, the, the book was written before that, but I think it was kind of adapted slightly to sort of suit that and it's a consummate Humphrey Bogart performance. He just, it's, again, he looked as if he was having a, an absolute ball in that role. Yep, can't fault it at all. I think you have to fill these roles sometimes, depending on the film, but I haven't seen that to be fair. But yes, it's, it's, it's bogey, isn't it? It's... Exactly, yes, yeah. It was the, the very first, as soon as uh, we we thought about this, it was the first one that came to mind, just because it's such, such a classic of the sort of film noir genre and arguably his best role. Probably his most famous role, but uh, that's an arguable point, and I really don't want to start arguing with people on the internet over that one because I will lose. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, your first choice? Yeah, I have went with Detective William Somerset from David Fincher's Seven, played by Morgan Freeman. Detective Somerset is ready to retire. You know, it's all kind of cliche. Detective's ready to retire, but there's one big case he still has to crack. This big case is trying to find the murderer. Now, we will learn to be John Doe. Sorry, spoiler spoiler alert. It's been out for a long time, this film. I think we know the ending. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and John Doe, played by Kevin Spacey, has been killing people using the seven deadly sins. 
Morgan Freeman, I don't think, has ever been young. He's always no. seemed old to me. And I'm not sure how old he is in Seven. For all I know, he's the same age I am now. But he's always seemed old. And in this, he just plays the kind of weird, beaten, I don't want to say haggard, but ragged detective. Mm-hmm. And the poor opposite of him is Brad Pitt. He's young, he's idealistic, and he's got fire and energy. And the contrast, so for me, Morgan Freeman's a standard performance in this. And his character just got so much depth to it. It's so much, for lack of a better term, there's so much character, even just his face and how he kind of portrays himself and acts himself. But he's also very, very good. Mm-hmm. And he, the thing about the film as well, it doesn't matter how good he is and how close he gets to capturing John Doe, they don't actually capture him to give himself up. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing I love about the film as well. It's like, from a kind of mystery point of view, it's trying to figure out who this evil serial killer is. And no matter how good he is, it doesn't actually catch him until he goes, hey, it's me. But even that's a twist in itself because he wants to be caught. Because mm-hmm. all part of his game. And yeah. the detectives lose. But that's yes. not Will's fault. Will tries his best to stop uh, Brad Pitt's David from shooting John Doe at the end. Mm-hmm. And he fails. He doesn't do it. But also, you probably know that's an alternative ending where someone set, takes the gun and just shoots him. Right, I, I didn't know that actually, no. I, I don't I, think it was ever filmed. Ah. I, I think it was just storyboarded, but basically that was Somerset's way of saying, well, John Doe's not going to win because mm-hmm. I'm going to take the fall and save David. Yes. That was an interesting ending. I prefer how they did it. Mm-hmm. It's bleaker, it's darker, and I like the fact that they failed. And although it does fail in many ways, he is still one of my favourite detectives in movies for the performance and the portrayal in the film itself. Yeah, it, it's kind of more sort of, I know I know it's not real life, but it's more realistic because you do feel sometimes people don't always win, they don't always manage to work something out. So it kind of reflects that a wee bit. And the whole film was, they were, they were always one step behind or at least one step behind John Doe. And yes, the fact that was, even though they were, and you kind of get an idea that Somerset didn't think he was going to catch up to him. He was still trying. He still put the hours in. He still grafted away. He, I mean, there's the, the scene in the, the public library where he goes in and he spends all night going through all the sort of mythology of... Uh, it was like Dante and all this sort of stuff, and he was just pulling it all together. So, And that sort of shows the almost like the grunt work, the detective sort of the, the paperwork that they have to do. It wasn't wasn't all action. He was the one that did all the research and put the hours into it, whereas, as you say, David was more idealistic. He was more fiery. He was the one who chased after John Doe. He would be the one that is a man of action, whereas Somerset, you know, he's almost like he's near retiring and he, he's got a way about him. It's, it's more methodical. And that is, that's what sort of makes all the sort of best detectives, the sort of the method that is it, best sort of detective films. That's what this usually is. It's a, a methodical approach, which, again, you was just going back to Knives Out. That's the same idea as Benoit Blanc. He came across as somebody who knew what he was doing, but he was having to go through a process and figure it out for himself. He didn't know everything, but he, did, he knew enough to ask the, the right questions and move on. And that's the same idea as... Uh, Somerset in this film, yeah, cracking choice. So yeah. done. You, you made a good point as well about the fact that Fincher kind of highlights all the detective work that Somerset's doing, mm-hmm. and 
I mean, I almost competitive. I was close to picking Jake Gyllenhaal's character for Zodiac as well. Also directed mm. by Fincher because the level of detail it shows you in the work they do. It's not all about the action. It's not all about just kind of chasing the bad guys in the streets and stuff and shootouts with and, and like abandoned buildings. It's about the kind of yeah. detect, detective work and the fact that they do this and make it exciting and interesting and captivating is it's a feat. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Aye. Aye. Not bad. Very nice choice. Have you got second? My second one is Edmund Exley from LA Confidential. Part was played by Guy Pierce. Yes. He is a character that initially comes across as being the sort of the total antithesis of uh, an interesting character, an interesting detective, because he seems to be a man who is on a career path for captain or above that even. Uh, maybe up to sort of commissioner level he does everything by the book he very much follows processes he's living in the shadow of his his father who was a, a famous LA detective and initially is dismissed and sort of resented by the men who actually work for him because he's young and he's idealistic it's only when there's a homicide involving a police detective in the night owl diner that three suspects are brought into custody and there's a scene where he really shows what he's about in terms of being a detective he interviews all three of them at the same time and the, the way that the, the, the scene is actually shot the three sort of interrogation booths are side, are side by side so they've got an audience of policemen watching it and each of the booths are mic'd up so he can talk in one and actually let another one hear and it's the, the back and forth between the various rooms that forces confessions and it doesn't have to resort to violence which is the sort of standard way that they they seem to be doing things and some of the other characters within the film they, they do their interrogation with their fists before doing anything else it shows that he's a, a clever guy and he knows what he's about and i think it's a, a sort of different take on the detective genre because he's showing how intelligent he is first and then he becomes a man of action because of that from that that particular scene and everything that unfolds around it and i mean the, the film is just a fantastic piece of work based around him and two other characters how they interact how they actually do their jobs good or bad and it's just Superb. I just it's what it's kind of a, a, a wee bit of an underrated performance because if you think about it, you've got Kevin Spacey who was actually the, sort of the bigger name at that time, and you've got Russell Crowe in a sort of star-making performance if you like as well. So it was kind of a third string to that, but uh, I think the the part really plays out, and it's just it's a, a very well done performance, and it's a very very good character. Yeah, I mean it's a long time since I've seen Ellie Confidential, but it's a cracking film, as you say. It's again, it's like an ensemble cast. There's so many strong performances, so many big name actors. Guy Pearce could can get lost in a shuffle with much mm-hmm. bigger names, really Hollywood A-listers at that time. Yeah, uh, it doesn't, and he's fantastic. Does, does somebody else play him in a film? Has that character been the the character is in three of the books? So if they've done any other books, then. I suspect, but he's, I don't think he's the main character in the other books, or one of the main characters. I know he's featured in it. I'm not sure if he actually has, yeah, but it wouldn't surprise me because there's been a few of the the James Elroy books being adapted. Not 100% sure though. I'll just double check that two seconds because mm, there's no way. Uh, just checking Wikipedia. I thought it might have been a hyperlink next to the character's name, but it was not, so maybe not. 
Yep. Not well, but yeah, very, very good choice. And cracking film and considered like a kind of modern classic at the time. It's not really spoken about as much now. And um, I assume people kind of forgot about it because it's, yeah, it's, it's strange, isn't it? Yeah. But it's one of these films that you can you can just watch and watch and watch. It's just there's so much detail, period detail, and everything in it as well. It's a, a great viewing, and there's a sort of a slight Christmas theme there as well. That's true. <laughs> yeah, not much. It, it doesn't really. I think it's kind of one of these ones that's set around about Christmas rather than being a Christmas film. You don't shoot Santa. It's okay, kids. <laughs> we should have a good podcast. Alternate Christmas films with ten use links. <laughs> We could be going a while. Definitely could. Right, so that's my second choice. What's yours? I have changed my choice at the last minute. Oh, controversial. I know I'm changing this because we were saying there about the fact that they don't have to be detective detectives. Mm-hmm. And my choice has already been picked by somebody in the comments, so I'm changing it ever so slightly. <laughs> yeah. I'm going for the character of L.B. Jeff Jeffries, played by Jimmy Stewart and Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window. Excellent. It was one of those ones, uh, I was going to put my in the list, but I was just so adamant I was keeping actual detectives. To the point, I was even thinking of Murtaugh and Riggs, that I went, mm-hmm. I know sergeants, I don't think they actual detectives. That's how stupid I was getting with my choices, but this is a cracking detective style thriller is the amateur sleuth James Stewart's Jeffries um, a photographer breaks his leg he has nothing to do but hang about his house and creepily spit on his neighbours <laughs> <laughs> he suspects one of his neighbours has been murdered and makes a dedication to try and figure out the crime all from his own room and it's an absolutely fantastic movie incredible performance and I, I just love James Stewart on this in the way that when he first, he, he starts to film his bolt, he's frustrated, he's annoyed, he's broken his leg, he can't do much. Then the fact that things has been a murder, there's a mystery to solve, he's got a playfulness about him. He's quite eager, quite excited, even to his own shame. Mm-hmm. But as the film goes on, you realise, hold on, get about your debt fear, because you're not actually a detective. And you can't really defend yourself either. There's nowhere you can go, there's nothing you can do. And it's just, I think, it's a very unique, and it's been parodied and remade so many times now, for the time. It's a very unique premise. It's based on a book, but just how it's done, it's so tense, it's so suspenseful, and like I say, his performance, and yeah, it's, the way he's trying to solve the mystery and the way he's approaching it, he's not doing it with any professionalism. Mm-hmm. There's no calmness to his demeanour. He is making mistakes, and he is over the top, and nobody believes him because, hey, he's not really a detective. <laughs> and yeah. okay, spoiler alert turns out he was right <laughs> the entire time and I won't ruin the ending though because it has been a long time since it's out and statute of limitations blah 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 it's not got an iconic ending the same way Seven has so people may not know it but please do check out if you haven't seen it I know you've seen it John but... yeah yeah, I've seen it a few times it's one of these Hitchcock films are of a certain regard for me I really enjoy them this is one of the best ones Definitely is. It's right up there with the best work that Hitchcock's done and James Stewart as well. Yeah. yeah as you definitely. say, yeah, there's no professionalism about him at all in terms of uh, doing any sort of private investigation or detective work. It's all just, it's just, it's just going purely in instinct. And he gets told time and time again, you do realise you're just spying on your neighbours all the time, yeah. and you've got you've got a camera that zooms in. 
and that's kind of t- they, they they touch on that in a few times because like it's not just the suspect's house that he looks into. There's a whole range of people. Like there's a pretty young woman and all this sort of stuff, and people having arguments and all this. So there's a whole sort of tapestry of life going on. So as kind of he is a bit voyeuristic in that sort of respect because he's got nothing else to do with his time because he's sitting there right. with a, a wheelchair and a broken leg. Am I right in saying as well that they actually built a set for that movie? Yes. And that whole like back um, other other houses and stuff. That's actually a set, and that's incredible for the time when you think about it. It does look great. It looks absolutely amazing, and it really does kind of add to that claustrophobia when you realise everything's more or less shot from his mm-hmm. bedroom window, and it's yep. yeah, it's just an unbelievable film. They even they even had uh, the, when you see the building across from. There's a, a slight gap, like a, a small alleyway, which obviously is supposed to lead on to a, a, a road or a street. And you can actually see occasionally people walking past it, which makes it even more sort of immersive because mm-hmm. it's obviously real life. But I think there's been essays done on the work that Hitchcock actually puts into his sets as well. There's especially there's particularly a good one to do with rope as well the, the the set of that and the backdrop and everything just the amount of detail that they put into these things to make it as realistic as possible and, and everybody realizes it's a film set but it's just uh, amazing stuff it wouldn't be done now a lot of that would be cg'd you know it's it, not it, a film it, with shia labeouf that was a remake of this a very loose remake but Yes, it was it was very similar. It had a lot of sort of plot points that were the same. He was like uh, he was on he was on the house arrests. Yeah, he suspects his neighbour. That's a real good film actually. Is it yeah, Stubbia? Correct, that's right. Yeah, I yeah. actually I have it next door. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I've watched it maybe once. Oh, you've seen my collection. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, and it's it's him with a pair of binoculars on the cover of it. That's right. So yeah, it's yeah. the same sort same sort of premise and bit. Of plays out in a slightly different way because I don't th- as you say he's under house arrest so it's slightly different but yes it's it's definitely up there it, it got a lot of comparisons to it and quite favourable ones as well I remember at the time yeah it's a good film yeah 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 not too bad right so my third choice is Marge Gunderson from the film Fargo Marge is a, a police chief in snowy Minnesota investigating a murder now She's almost like the antithesis of the sort of hard-boiled police detective. She's very sort of homely, very soft-spoken. She comes across as being a very nice person. In fact, if you look at the poster of the the film, which is actually like a a woven poster, if you like, and it says a homespun murder mystery, and that Mm -hmm. kind of describes Marge sort of down to a T. She she's in a, a relationship with is it Norm, I think his name is. And she's just very gentle, but that sort of belies the fact that she's got this sort of razor sharp mind and she uses people's perceptions of her in a way that sort of gets them to open up and talk. And what you find is when somebody, especially in a a murder mystery film, when they start talking, they usually start incriminating themselves because they're usually not that clever. And the ones that think they're that clever get caught out anyway because they're really not that clever. Uh, so she uses her very sort of earthiness to get 
right into the heart of these sort of horrible people, the way she, she deals with them, whether it's interviewing uh, a couple of girls who spent a night with two of the suspects or interviewing one of them while the other one has just been passed through a wood chipper. <laughs> <laughs> Not to give too much away, but let's face it, this is a film that's, what, 23 years old, you know? And if you haven't seen Fargo by now, I don't know why you're even listening to this podcast, to be perfectly honest, because this is the kind of thing that we revel in. Just it was a fantastic performance by Frances McDormand. And again, it's it, it's been proven out of time that it's a film that really has legs and people go back to it. And it's rated as being one of the best Coen Brothers films, unsurprisingly. And a lot of it's got to do with the central character of March. Yeah, she's really good in the film. And do you know that's a film I only seen for the first time fairly recently. So mm-hmm. the last couple of years, yeah, I'm just kind of one of those films that always kind of passed me by. Yeah, but yeah, that's a good choice, really good choice. You say the fact that it's a as a modern mystery, but it's a very unique take on it without betraying the typical tropes that you'd expect yeah. from a modern mystery. Yeah, I always like the fact that it starts off with saying this is a true story. <laughs> no, it plainly isn't. It's just it's just very very well done, and they've they've. Taking that forward, I don't know if you watched the Fargo TV series. I don't know. Oh, you you really need to watch it. It uses some of the same locations, but it's got nothing to do with the the actual film, or it's got very little to do with the actual film. But yeah, they're fantastic, and they always start off with, you know, this is a true story, and then the true part just sort of dissolves, and it's just so, yeah, it's not really a story, a, a true story at all. It's all completely made up, but they got a lot of mileage from that at the time when they were actually promoting the film because people took them seriously and saying, you know, no, I don't remember seeing this, you know, what sort of research did you do for this? And they were kind of like, well, it's not real, it's made up. I mean, look at us, <laughs> we make things up for a living. Yeah. I did see something though that apparently there was an interview with them that fairly recently, in the last few years, when they confirmed that some of it was true, they actually did base a lot of it on. All right, okay. Stuff. So there's elements of truth there, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. Years was, yeah. It was a kind of case okay, based on a true story, well, actually, it's not made that up to. Well, actually, that's been. And it's like, well, yeah, it's quite interesting that I can keep on guessing. And that's came back up probably with the film with the TV show and that, and they've been asked it again. So they could just be playing people's heads the entire time. You never know. Yeah, well, they, they like doing that, I think, just to yes. keep things interesting more than anything else. Very Excellent. So your third and final choice? I'm going to bit left field of mine. Uh, this is not a murder mystery film. It's not a thriller. <laughs> this is there's no real detective work. <laughs> I'm going to go with Tango and Cash. Nice. Yes, nice. it's a buddy cop movie, but their rank is detective. And these are two guys that are the antithesis of anybody we have spoken about so far. They don't <laughs> sit in an office and solve crimes. They don't hit the streets and shake down suspects. It's a balls-to-the-wall, madcap, nutjob action film with no mystery or twist in it at all. Tango and Cash play for Sylvester Stallone and Kurt Russell, two cops who are set up and sent to jail by big-time gangster Jack Palance. We know that from the start. We know that from the opening scene. Again, <laughs> there's no mystique about this movie. And they spend the time in jail, beating up prisoners, they escape, there's madcap action scenes involving grenades, big giant kitted out cars and oh it's an insane movie absolutely insane it's so good i love it it's a romance element as well isn't it just it's cash not 
romantically involved with Tango's sister or something. Aye, like yeah, played by aye. Terry Hatcher. Uh, of course, yeah, yeah. It's just, I think it's such a fun movie. Absolute mm-hmm. fun. And they two in it are absolutely amazing. It's one of my favourite buddy cop movies. And their chemistry is excellent. And it's good to see Stallone playing this, playing the role they'd expect to play Kurt Russell. Mm-hmm. It's Stallone, yeah. playing, he's an action hero, but he's a kind of, he's a suit on. He's very sophisticated and very suave. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Kurt Russell basically plays um, his character from Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> Could <laughs> be a spin off. Yeah, um, he, he looks pretty much like him right down to the hair and everything. Yeah. yeah. And it's excellent because I, I first seen this movie, it was in Jack Palance, just but Jack Palance, which is brilliant. But I seen this film on TV the first time I watched it, so it was heavily edited and cut. There's a scene when they're the beginning, they make a joke to Sylvester Stallone. They go, Who does this guy think he is? He thinks he's Rambo. It's quite funny. But in the version I've seen, Stallone replies, Rambo was a primitive. Mm-hmm. The actual the actual line is Rambo was a pussy, which makes perfect sense. Yeah. But Rambo was a primitive. I remember as a kid going, is there some kind of dig at Rambo being a bit? Is it is it Rambo because he's a kind of action hero, stab slaughter people in the jungle, whereas Stallone's character in this is more kind of sophisticated. <laughs> I'm thinking too much into this. Yeah, you were you were going too deep in it, weren't you? Yeah. <laughs> And then it's myself. the same idea. ITV, they, they did that for years. Uh, there was the famous Yippee-Ki-Yay Melon Farmer as oh, well. <laughs> it was just one of those. Oh, no, when yeah. I seen that on ITV, it was, uh, it said Yippee-Ki-Yay Kimosabe. Oh, right. <laughs> but at the end, when Alan Rickman says, what was it you said to me? Yippee-Ki-Yay. And they edited it, and they edited it badly. So so, so it says, Kimosa. <sighs> And I'm like, what happened there? Because nobody cuts them off. Yeah. Okay. And I'm like, again, watching this as a kid, thinking, if they, is this Alan Rickman saying, this is what I remember you saying, but I can't get the actual phrase right because I'm not, because I'm German. Um, yeah. Or Austrian, sorry. And I'm just, again, thinking too much, aren't you? Because of stupid yeah. uh-huh. I know, yeah. Yeah, but then once we got... <laughs> but once we got the real versions of everything then it all made perfect sense again exactly. your teenage years must have been perfect then if you'd revisited all these and uh, managed to get all the proper all the good swearing words and everything yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's it oh, actually we should do a podcast just in Robocop that's another story I think we should yeah we should have Robocop special if you're interested in that please let us know on social media because I'm definitely interested in it in fact I think we should just do it anyway but I'm going to go to social media for your top threes. And Bob Steele at Bob Steele 55 has gave us Jacques Clouseau. Excellent choice. Mm-hmm, definitely. Sherlock Holmes. Doesn't say for version, but again, a very good choice. I'm willing to think he's not thinking of the Robert Downey Jr. one. I just don't like the films. I should like them. I like the cast. I like the director. Mm-hmm. I just don't like them. And yeah. Virgil Tibbs from In the Heat of the Night. That's an excellent choice. I, that was on my short list. Mr. Tibbs, particularly good role. Really liked it, yeah. Aye, good choice there, Bob. Well done. Yes. And we also have Derek at DK underscore do on Twitter. And he said, in no particular order, Sam Spade. You know that one? Yeah, it would be probably Bogart again. Probably the most. Oh, so it was. Aye, aye, aye. So it was Bogart. Jake Gettys. Who? Sorry? Jake Jake Gettys. Mm, that doesn't ring a bell, but I'm sure it's 
probably somebody really famous and just China himself look Ah, right, okay. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. Idiot. I'm an idiot. I just still haven't seen that, actually. Uh, from a Roman Polanski boycott, but that's another story. Mm-hmm. And the cast of Ellie Confidential. Yeah, yeah. He also wants Perfect. to give a shout out to Batman, who was on my yes. list. Yes. He was on my list originally because he, he is a detective, and yeah. Mm hmm. That's but there's an bad. argument for uh, Batman not actually being a detective in any of the films. Well, I would it. argue he is in The Dark Knight. You see him mm. do a lot of detective work in that. suppose so. Aye. I'll give you that one. All right. Over to Facebook, we have Mary, who's went with Eddie Valiant from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It's an excellent choice. And she wants to know if Columbo yep. counts because she has a real crush on him. <laughs> I, I, I that kind of counts. speaks volumes about Mary. Yeah. Yes, so it's a strange one. But yeah, we'll see if it counts. And our, own, and our good friend, Gary Fraser, has went for Ace Ventura, which I think is an excellent choice as well. <laughs> Nice, nice. I, was, I was close to putting that in as well, but I thought I'll try and get some serious ones in. No, that no, a pet detective is not serious. It's just I knew your your choices would be great, so I was trying to show off. <laughs> <laughs> show off. Well, well, I think you, I think you achieved it. It's particularly I mean, good choices. I did have Tango and Cash. I couldn't help it. It was a toss up between Tango and Cash and Axel Foley. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Axel Foley actually did do some detective work. I like Tango and Cash. But... <laughs> <laughs> nice. And that, nice. That wraps up our top three uh, movie detectives and a review of Nights Out. But it has been quite a good week for trailers. At the week last weekend, we had the new trailer for Wonder Woman 84. And we also had Ghostbusters just the other day. I absolutely loved the Wonder Woman trailer. I think it looks so much fun. I love the 80s vibe. The colour scheme. Not so much Chris Pine's back. I think he's great. I loved him in the first one, but I just don't know how it's going to tie in. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they pull it off. I'm just kind of thinking, I love how they ended it with him the first film. They better yes. pull this off and bring him back. But Gal Gadot, absolutely adore her. She's fantastic in the role. I love the first one the film. Can't wait for this. John, what did you think? Yep, absolutely. It's. I thought it was a bold choice to sort of move it up onto the, the 80s when it could quite have easily just done a sort of Second World War type of thing and kept that sort of going it's easy to sort of slot in a superhero thing into the second world well they did that with the first captain america but yeah sort of moving it into the 80s and everything around that just yeah it works really well and as you say some cracking performances gal gadot or is it gadot i can never remember it's just amazing just i love their work in the first one and it looks as if it's going to be pretty much the same basically because it's the the same sort of creatives that are working on this yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. Ty so. Jenkins, isn't it? Yep, mm-hmm. yeah, that's she's right. A, yeah. she's, a, she's an excellent director. She's she's absolutely great. So it's good that she's returned. And I listened to a podcast recently. It was Richard Donner interviewing her. Uh, mm-hmm. And just after the release of Wonder Woman, uh, she just came across great. She came across a total fangirl because like, she's sitting there going, I can't believe Richard Donner of Superman's interviewing me. I based Wonder Woman so much in your, in your film and all that. And it's, it's a cracking interview. It's a cracking conversation. I will... Uh, it's... Continuing with the way that DC films seem to be going, they're they're more about trying to tell a story now rather than setting up a franchise, which I, I've I've really liked. I just think it's, it's it's the way to go for them. They can consider doing that in the future, but just make quality films that people want to see. 
and they don't need to be dark and gritty. They can be a bit lighter. And I mean, my, my main concern about all these films is that there's a big battle at the end of it. And mm-hmm. how many times can you do that? Fair enough. Uh, one of the biggest films of the year, Endgame, or sorry, the biggest film of the or the biggest film ever, had a battle, but everything was kind of building up to that anyway. But you, you tend to get that in a lot of superhero films. Are, you know, there's, there's a reason that they're, they're doing everything and it comes to the third act and they have to have a big CGI battle. Whereas, you know, they might, get, they might do something slightly different this time. I know, and that was one of the biggest criticisms of the first Wonder Woman film, that it felt it went for that typical kind of cliche. With yeah. Endgame, though, Endgame not only earned it and deserved it, Yes, sir. there was so much at stake in the film, and the human element to it, and the emotional impact of it, it really helped it. You can pull these things off. You yes, can do of course. it. It's just getting that kind of emotional investment in it, rather than just here's big bright coloured computer graphics. Mm-hmm. Aye, yeah. So second trailer was the Ghostbusters Afterlife trailer. Yes. You, I know that you are a massive Ghostbusters fan. Basically, because I've yes. seen you, you took time out of your holiday in New York in order to go down to the fire station, didn't you, to get your picture taken outside that? I didn't, I didn't, yes, I didn't need yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, what did you think of it? I was, I, I, when I seen, when I saw who was directing it, Justin Reitman, is it Justin Reitman or Reitman? Reitman, yeah. Reitman, I. Uh, I'm like, right, I hate Juno with a passion, but I've liked other stuff he's done. Mm-hmm. that's a good I looked at the cast and I thought right it's doing everything that the last Ghostbusters film didn't do for me mm-hmm. I wasn't a fan of the last director I wasn't a fan of the cast I didn't turn out end up like the film mm-hmm. I thought it was yep. quite good I quite enjoyed it with this it was like, well, it was like a great cast it's got a cast I like it's got a good director blah blah seeing the stills and stuff I was getting quite excited the fact that it wasn't a reboot it was actually a sequel yeah I liked as well because I thought we was going to have some tie-ins and stuff and everybody was buzzing about the trailer, and I watched it, and I was very underwhelmed. Mm. I don't know if people are seeing in this trailer that I'm not, but I was just like, eh, what's great about it? No, that's not me writing the film off. Not at all. It's a teaser tra- it's an extended teaser trailer, for lack of a better term. And yes. It's not giving much away. I just don't, I'm not getting excited by it, though, based on what I've seen. Yeah, well, again, with a lot of things... It's kind of wait and see. I think they're deliberately trying not to give too much away with this one, obviously, including the uh, the very famous is it Ecto-1, the car. Yeah. That seems to be featured quite a lot in the trailer, which is kind of what the fans want. So I was kind of paying lip service to that. It, it looks interesting. I, I was one of these people who really liked the last Ghostbusters film. I'm not ashamed to say it. When I, I've watched it a couple of times and I've, I've found it very, very funny and very entertaining. I can understand why people get upset. But if things like that ruin their childhood, then they should be looking at other aspects of their childhood yeah. <laughs> as well. But, but yes, it, it has its moments. What do you think about Paul Rudd being in it? I like Paul Rudd. I, I, think, I think that's great. I don't really know what he's going to be like in this in terms of whose character and how it's going to portray and how much impact it's going to have. Yeah. Again, though, like, um, I like the cast. I like him. I'm looking forward to seeing him in a Ghostbusters movie. I think he'll be great in it. Like I said, I'm not writing it off by any means, especially based on a two-minute trailer that gives nothing away. Yeah. I was just disappointed by my own reaction in a way because I was like, eh, what, is it? What, is it? What, is it? what has everybody seen from this trailer? Yeah. It's so it's getting them excited. Apart from you, put, uh, said you put the put it so eloquently the other day. They went and said it's not all women. 
Yeah. That's yeah, exactly. A lot of people are as stupid as that is. Yeah, when, oh. when you actually look at the trailer, I think the, the only woman in it is, uh, it looks like a housewife. <laughs> yeah, people <laughs> think, okay, yes, okay, okay yes. As it should yeah. be. So we're back to 1984 then. Great. <laughs> Smashing. And I guess the, the thing I'm really excited about the fact that this film, if this is another Ghostbusters reboot, I couldn't care who the cast was. I'd be yeah. like, come on, you can't recreate that magic. Ghostbusters 2 couldn't even recreate that magic. You couldn't recreate that magic with the same cast. And I'm the same as you, I enjoyed the last film for what it was. It was never going to touch the first one. No. And to be fair, when you watch it, it doesn't try to. It no. tries to be its own thing. Mm-hmm. And it's a good film. It just was too expensive a comedy, and it did take the backlash over the usual suspects. Yeah, I, 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 I felt quite disappointed that uh, the people who were initially championing it, the likes of Dan Aykroyd and all that, they were very quick to dismiss it as soon yeah. as it started getting criticised, which kind of left a bit of a bad taste because I mean these are the guys that are, they were actually running the supposed new Ghostbusters extended universe because yeah. Yeah, they'd been brought in to do a lot of work on that and then to say, oh, well, it wasn't really us at all, you know. So it has left a bit of a a, a bad taste in the lips. Paul Feig, wasn't it, that yeah. directed it? He still, he doesn't like to talk about it too much in interviews or anything. And he's, he's very sort of cautious about what he says just because it's still relatively raw for him, that yeah. whole experience, which is which is never good. But yeah, as for as we'll probably see a wee bit more. And I'm, I'm assuming there's going to be at least another one, probably two Ghostbusters shows yeah. before it comes out in the summer. So we'll, we'll probably catch a few wee more glimpses of things to come. Yeah. And I hope it's good. I really do because I don't want bad films to come out. I don't want to go and see bad no. films. No, I don't want um, any film to be a bad film. But and if one more person says to me, "Oh, look, Stranger Things," I'm going to explode because I'm missing <laughs> the point. Yeah. Stranger Things in that case, and I, I know what they mean. It does have a Stranger Things vibe to it because of the kids in it. Yes, but well, there's Finn Wolfhart. He's in it, so he's obviously yeah. directly planted in from uh, Stranger Things. I mean, I remember yeah, watching the... it at Chapter One and thinking the same thing. Had a Stranger mm-hmm. Things kind of element, but again, he was in it. Yes, yeah, it's. It looks like an 80s film. That's what it's all about. That's what they're, they're trying to... They're wanting people to relive their childhood. That's what it is. Because if you think about it for uh, a lot of kids, they don't have any association with Ghostbusters. In no. fact, the only association they'll have with Ghostbusters is through the last film because there hasn't been a TV show for a while. And it's mostly adults who have fond memories of Ghostbusters, the, the original films, and then the uh, the animated TV series after that. So that, was, but that's as I say, long time ago. So you've got to wonder who this is. Is this being aimed at children, or is this being aimed at big children? You know? Yeah, and I always kind of wonder as well. Maybe the last one with the FUD, maybe kind of a better reaction if it was a sequel mm-hmm. yeah. rather than a reboot. And even the marketing campaign was a bit confusing in that sense when. It alluded to the fact that it was a sequel yeah. in one of the trailers. But it was like 30 years ago, they saved the world now. And I'm like, well, but it's not the same timeline yeah. that he's doing. They're just, trying, they're just annoying people for the sake of it now. Again, they were trying to make it sort of relevant for Ghostbusters fans. If that film would be called something else and he slightly changed the script and made it sort of a supernatural comedy, they would have got away with it and it would have been, yeah. it would have been a, a reasonable success, I think, you know, and people would have enjoyed it. I've seen something when films of that nature don't tend to have budgets of that size. Yeah. And that was a kind of big thing about it. Again, it's taken away obviously the 
stupidity of and patheticness of the backlash. Mm-hmm. There was that kind of element to garden it. And also there was that kind of thing regarding the film as well. People didn't like the fact that they were told they weren't allowed to not like it or not look forward yes. to it. I mean, I've said, when I saw the first trailer for the first course, the last course, sorry, I was like, I'm not excited for that at all. And people descended on me. Mm-hmm. I have said the same about this one. People have also descended on me, but it's the same people that didn't like the last one. So yeah. You know. Aye, aye. I know, I know exactly what you mean. Yes, it's... Uh, yes. People are allowed to not like stuff. People are allowed to not like stuff, so I'm not going to yeah. go them for that because all I'll say is I was underwhelmed by it, but I think Wonder Woman looks great. I think Ghostbusters, I hope Ghostbusters is great. I'm just not sold into the trailer so far. And the, the nostalgia wasn't doing much for me, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. expecting more. But that's my two pence. Yeah. Excellent. So that's us done for another one then. Indeed. Excellent. If you would like to talk about Ghostbusters, uh, I think it's a support group <laughs> set up. You can call. <laughs> Who are you going to call? Way. But yeah, if you want to get in touch with us, if anything we've spoken about, anything you'd like us to talk about, or just for our abuse it is, or send us love, you can contact us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Movie Scramble. And if you want to contact John directly, the email address is still open, guys. Yeah, podcast at moviescramble.co.uk. And when Thomas says, send us love, he actually means just send something in writing. We're not looking for dick pics, thanks very much. We don't want any of that nonsense. We have enough of that with Mary, so we don't we don't speak, need any speak, more. Speak for yourself. <laughs> Aye, quite. I want, but when I say dick pics, I do mean pictures of like uh, Dick Van Dyke and Dick Robocop, <laughs> obviously. Yes. Mm. But yes, uh, please be in touch if you've enjoyed it or not, and I hope you did enjoy it because we do enjoy doing it. And this is the first time I've done it in a while, and it won't be as long a wait next time. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Bye.